Good morning, everyone. As has been mentioned, we're having uh, lunch after the service. Uh, please do stay for that. We have a good feed for the AGM, and we're going to have a good feed right now on the Word of God. Um, when I ministered at the Armadale Church of Christ, there was an elder there, and whenever he would preach, he would say, I want to give you a good feed on the Word of God this morning, and I want to encourage you to go home and feed yourself for the rest of the week. And that's what I uh, that's what I hope to do this morning. I hope this isn't the only time this week that uh, you'll study God's Word. I hope you'll be like the, uh, the Bereans in uh, Acts 17. It says, Now the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the Scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. I hope that will be true for us. So let me pray as we start. Father God, it's wonderful to come here to lift up your name, name above all names. Thank you for the gift of your word. May we read it, may we treasure it, may we cling to it and never depart from it. Father, if we've drifted this morning, if we've drifted from your word, I pray that you might use this message this morning to rekindle a desire to know you and to know your word. Amen. This is Jason McCartney. He uh, is a football player. He made his debut for Collingwood in 1991. He was drafted just weeks after Collingwood won their drought-breaking premiership in 1990. Uh, but sadly for Jason McCartney, he would find no premiership success at Collingwood, and he was traded to Adelaide. He was in and out of the Adelaide side, and unfortunately for McCartney, he was out of the side when they won their first premiership in 1997. He moved to North Melbourne in 1998 and he found himself in the 1998 grand final playing against his former side, the Adelaide Crows. But unfortunately for McCartney, it was the Adelaide Crows who were victorious that day, winning back-to-back -back premierships. 1999, it's the preliminary final and North Melbourne are playing and they are winning their way through to the 1999 grand final. Finally, it must be McCartney's time. He was reported in the preliminary final for striking and he was suspended from playing in the 99 grand final, which North Melbourne won. Jason McCartney had come so close to winning a premiership for three years in a row, he described his suspension as the worst day of his life. But he was wrong. Uh, Jason McCartney was on holidays in Bali during the off-season in October of 2002. A terrorist bombing took place on October 12th, 2002, killing 202 people, including 88 Australians. McCartney was drinking at a pub when the bomb exploded... McCartney rushed to help others, not realising the severity of his own injuries. He suffered burns to over 50% of his body, and he almost died during surgery. McCartney had a goal to return to football, a goal that looked impossible. But within six months, McCartney was making his return in the VFL, wearing full-body length skins, long sleeves and gloves, to protect his body. In round 11, 2003, 237 days after the attack in Bali, Jason McCartney made his return to AFL football. 
McCartney kicked a goal in the last quarter and in the dying minutes he passed a ball to a teammate who kicked the winning goal. Jason McCartney had made the difference in a fairy tale return to football. And Jason McCartney announced his immediate retirement from AFL football that night. He said he had spent every inch of his effort to make it back for one last game. It's a long road from a pub in Bali to returning to footy at the MCG. It's a long way back. Well, another sermon, another opportunity to tell you about my parkrun adventures. There I am in the orange. When I run at home, my girls like to call me the orange rocket, and uh, seems to be true. I look to be a, a long way ahead in that photo. Um, when I started going along to Castlemaine Park Run, middle of last year, it had been a long time since I'd done any consistent running. So when I ran my first park run, I ran the 5Ks in 27 minutes, 39 seconds. And as I began to run regularly, my times got better and better each week. And by November, I ran park run in 20 minutes, 15 seconds. However... I even managed to win a parkrun. I, I mean, I know that parkrun is, is like a social and recreational event. It's like it's not a competition, it's not a race, but that does not detract from the fact that I won it. So, I, I found it was getting uh, harder and harder to, uh, to break my personal best time. Um, I was, and so I decided to have a couple of weeks off, which is... Uh, a bad idea. In the, uh, in the uh, summer, I don't wear the orange jumper, but sometimes I do wear the orange rocket t-shirt. Um, so I had a couple of weeks off, which the couple of weeks turned into a couple of months, and come January, my times were back out to 25 minutes. And from there, I decided that I was going to get back to my best. And it's been really hard. The Travis Barnes of 2018 was so fast that it's taken me all year and I still can't catch him. It's a long way back. Last week we talked about God's people turning away from God yet again and embracing sinful living. Uh, it was because God's people had lived selfish lives that they were removed from the land that God promised them in the first place. Because they turned away from God's goodness, because they embraced idolatry, embraced greed, violence, and injustice, their nation was invaded, their capital was destroyed, they were taken away into exile in Babylon, and God in his goodness gives his people a fresh beginning by allowing them to return to Jerusalem under the decree of King Cyrus of Persia. But even then, they continued to persist in their sin. Now, Ezra, who is a priest during this time, he sums up the mood in Ezra chapter 9. He says, Oh my God, I am utterly ashamed. I blush to lift my face to you, for our sins are piled higher than our heads, and our guilt has reached to the heavens. From the days of our ancestors until now, we have been steeped in sin. That is why our kings and our priests, we have been at the mercy of pagan kings of the land. We have been killed captured, robbed and disgraced just as we are today. But now we have been given a brief moment of grace for the Lord our God has allowed a few of us to survive as a remnant. He has given us security in this holy place 
Our God has brightened our eyes and granted us some relief from our slavery, for we were slaves. But in his unfailing love, our God did not abandon us in our slavery. Instead, he caused the kings of Persia to treat us favorably. He revived us so we could rebuild the temple of our God and repair its ruins. He has given us a protective wall in Judah and Jerusalem. And now, oh, our God, what can we say after all of this? For once again, we have abandoned your commands. The book of Nehemiah is about more than rebuilding a broken wall. It's about rebuilding a broken people. The people of Judah have returned to the land. Now they need to return to the Lord. And in chapter 8, we see God's people begin to return to the Lord, and it starts with the reading of God's word. Nehemiah, chapter 8, verse 1. All the people assembled with a unified purpose at the square, just inside the water gate. They asked Ezra the scribe to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had given for Israel to obey. So on October 8, Ezra the priest brought the book of the law before the assembly, which included the men and women and all the children old enough to understand. He faced the square just inside the water gate from early morning until noon and read aloud to everyone who could understand. All the people listened closely to the book of the law. Now in verse 7 and 8, it says that the Levites instructed the people in the law, helping them to understand the meaning of what was being read. Then in verse 9, it says that Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who were interpreting for the people said to them, Don't mourn or weep on such a day as this, for today is a sacred day before the Lord your God. For the people had all been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. God's people are moved by the reading of his word, moved to tears, in fact, and it leads them to renewed obedience. Uh, In verse 14, it says that they discovered God's instructions concerning the festival of shelters. Um, This was an event that Israel was to celebrate to remind God's people about the time they lived in shelters during the wilderness before they came in to the promised land. It was an event to remind them of God's faithfulness, how they led them out of Egypt, how God provided manna for them in the wilderness, and how God was faithful to bring God's people into the land he promised. God's people were not following God's instructions, but now having heard God's word, there is renewed obedience. God's word convicts us of our sin and leads us to repentance. Uh, Paul writes in 2 Timothy, all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. The writer of Hebrews says, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing the soul and spirit joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Why do we need to read God's word regularly? Jesus said, people don't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. The Bible is bread for daily living. It is not cake for special occasions. Um, I hope this is not the only time this week that you'll study God's Word. If you only study God's Word on Sundays, it's unlikely that you're going to become a strong Christian. 
Imagine if you only ate once a week. How strong, how well nourished would you be? One key reason that we read God's word is to remember who God is. Last week we talked about how God is loving, and because he is loving, he has wrath towards sin and wrongdoing. Because he loves us, he hates the sin that is so destructive in our lives. Because he loves you, he hates the sin that poisons our lives. And yet many Christians have lost sight of this truth because many Christians have lost sight of God's word. We have an epidemic of Bible illiteracy amongst Christians today. Um, Some research tells us that 25%, fewer than 25% of Christians read their Bible weekly. Um, As people get away from the consistent engagement with his word, they lose sight of the nature of God, which leads to all manner of bad ideas. God's word reminds us who he is, and it reminds us also who we are. Because we can so easily forget that God loves us. We can so easily forget that he's with us. We can so easily forget the truths of Ephesians chapter 1, that we are united with Christ, that we are loved and chosen by God before the creation of the world, and that God has adopted us into his own family. We can so easily forget his love, so easily forget that he's with us, so easily forget to trust in his promises. We need to regularly read the scriptures to remember who God is, who we are, so that we do not wander from God's ways. Perhaps you've wandered. Perhaps it's been a while since you've regularly engaged in the scriptures. Perhaps God is more distant to you than he once was. If you've wandered, there's a great promise in the book of James. Just come near to God, and he will come near to you. Today you may need to confess to God that you've wandered from him, and tell him that you long to walk closely with him. Once again, God longs for you to draw close. As we begin a journey of renewing our walk with the Lord, the reading of his word will be central to the renewing of our faith. In Nehemiah, they read God's word in chapter 8. It led to a great outpouring of confession in chapter 9. So what I want to do this morning is I want to get very practical because many of you here know that reading the Bible is important. So I want to share some ideas with you to help you read the Bible regularly. I think that's the best way I could serve you this morning. So I'm going to present some ideas. Uh, You're not going to find all of them beneficial, but I hope there's an idea that grabs your attention and that you go home and try. So let's start here. You hunger for what you feed on. Uh, The point is that you won't always feel like reading the Bible, but the more you read the Bible, the more you will feel like reading the Bible. Um, I never used to feel like running. It was always too hot, too cold, too wet, too dry, too windy, too many magpies around. But I've noticed that the more I run, the more I feel like running. The more I run, the more I want to run. And this perhaps explains why so many runners out there get hooked on running and start doing 10Ks and and half marathons and and full marathons. Um, It perhaps explains this uh, comment that I saw online recently, which said, do people who run marathons know they don't have to? It's a good question. 
you are hunger for what you feed on. If you feed yourself on computer games, you'll want to play computer games. You feed yourself on fantasy football, where you have a team of fantasy players who score fantasy points in a fantasy league. If you feed on that, you'll hunger for that. If you feed yourself on Netflix or Marvel movies or Harry Potter novels or The Bachelor, the list goes on. You hunger for what you feed on. So don't wait until you start feeling like reading the Bible before you make a start. Start feeding on it. In time, you'll start feeling like it. Read the Bible with friends. Um, Just important to take note here that in Nehemiah chapter 8, they read God's word as a community, and this was the normal way it was done. God's people typically did not own individual copies of God's word. Now, Now, it's a blessing in our modern world that we can buy an individual copy of the Bible, but how about reading the Bible with a friend once a week and discussing what you read, or be part of a small group where you can study God's word together. Christianity is not a solo activity. We we follow God together. Read the Bible as a family. Uh, So if you're a Christian family, why wouldn't you read the Bible together as a family? Um, I remember becoming a youth pastor and being invited to dinner uh, by a family who had kids in the youth group. And and sure enough, during dinner, out came the Bible. The, The father read a short passage and there was discussion. Um, this family was building strong biblical foundations. They were teaching their children to love God's word. Um, now, perhaps you're an empty nester. Uh, so how about reading the Bible with your spouse? Or perhaps discussing with your spouse what you've been reading. Um, encourage each other in your journey with Jesus. Pray as you read. The Bible is not some dry history book. The writer of Hebrews says it's alive and it's active. And when a Christian reads the Bible, they read it with the Holy Spirit living within them. Christian, when you read the Bible, you're reading it in the company of its author, helping you to make sense of what you're reading. So pray before you start. Don't just read the Bible for information. Pray that God would reveal himself to you in the Scriptures. Pray that you'd see Jesus in the Scriptures and have a revelation of his heart for you. Pray that you'd know God's will as you read the Scriptures because it's alive. Consider the genre that you're reading. Uh, So within the Bible, there are lots of different genres. The Bible has law books. It has books that recount Israel's history. There are gospel books recording the life and ministry of Jesus. Uh, There is prophecy uh, material giving us insights in events that are yet to come. There is letters to individuals and to churches. Uh, There is poetry and wisdom literature where people have composed songs and poems and proverbs and laments before God. And so depending on which part of the Bible you're reading, you're likely to encounter some very different types of literature. For instance, Nehemiah, it reads like a story for much of the book. But in Nehemiah chapter 7, you'll find this section called Nehemiah Registers the People. And uh, lo and behold, it's a long list of names and numbers. It's uh, not exactly a a page-turning section. If you get bogged down in a particular genre, you're allowed to leave it and come back to it another day. Like, it's better to read the Gospels three times in a row than to get bogged down and stuck reading the book of Ezekiel and giving up. If you get uh, bogged down 
in Nehemiah chapter 7, jump ahead to Nehemiah chapter 8, come back to the register another day. Uh, if you enjoy reading history, you might really enjoy reading First and Second Samuel. Uh, you might find the poetry and songwriting of the Psalms really inspiring. Uh, Paul's letters to the churches are full of rich teaching, and if you don't know where to start, start with the life of Jesus in the Gospels. Try listening to the Bible. Uh, maybe you're more of an audio person. I, I enjoy listening to my Bible app as I drive the car from Newstead. Uh, maybe find a Bible app and try listening to the reading of God's Word like they did in Nehemiah chapter 8 minus the app. Try a reading plan. Uh, some people find reading plans helpful. Some of the most common ones are read a, the Bible through in a year, which would involve reading three or four chapters of the Bible a day. Um, some of you might be familiar with the E100 plan. It takes you through the 100 most essential passages of Scripture in 100 days, 50 from the old, 50 from the new. And for some people, this would be a more achievable plan. Uh, now, reading plans can be helpful, but some people feel guilty when they get behind on their plan. So it's important to remember the Bible is a gift. It's not a chore. So what if you get behind? Like, if you get behind, so what? Like, if you take two years to finish your read the Bible in a year plan, well, that's better than not reading God's Word. Try a different version. Uh, we are very blessed in our times to have access to such a wide variety of Bible translations. In fact, some of you might be wondering, why are there so many different translations? Um, so basically, there are two types of Bible translations. There are translations that endeavor to translate the Bible word for word. They will try and translate uh, the original Hebrew word or the original Greek word to the most literal English word. The other kind of translation is called a dynamic equivalent. These translations endeavor not to translate the Bible word for word as such, but thought for thought. Now you'll see this particular graphic is implying something. It's implying that the word for word translations are superior to the thought for thought translations, and it's often assumed that a more literal translation of scripture is superior, and I think the assumption this graphic is making is overly simplistic, and I think it's a mistake. And perhaps an illustration might show why. Here we are, First Peter 1.13. Therefore gird up the loins of your mind. This comes from the New King James Version, which is a more literal translation. Uh, Peter here is encouraging his readers to think clearly and exercise self-control. Now, if you've seen the Bible on DVD... You may have noticed the clothes they're wearing are often long robes, not easy to run in. You know, Jerusalem Park Run in the first century would have been very interesting indeed. Now, if you wanted to run in that era, first you would have to gather your long garments and tuck them into your belt. You would have to gird up your loins and tuck them into your belt. Then you would be free to run. And so Peter uses this imagery to encourage his readers to gird the loins of their mind. The New King James Version is endeavoring to translate this passage literally. Problem is, not many people wear loins or find themselves having to gird them up. Um, so it's a literal translation but is it really that helpful? 
Um, the New Living Translation endeavors to translate this passage from a thought, for thought perspective. It's written, so prepare your minds for action. And, and for this reason, I think many modern readers would be better served with a thought-for-thought translation or a translation that tries to do a bit of both. Perhaps it's time to try a new translation. You might just see a passage you've read many times before in a new light. Uh, we are very blessed to have many good Bible translations in our day, and the very best one of all is the one you actually read. Number nine, uh, read a short book in one sitting. So uh, here's what people who have sort of not great Bible reading habits do. They'll start reading the Bible or read a chapter of a particular book, and when they come back to it like a week later to read chapter two, they've completely forgotten what happened in chapter one. Um, So if this is you, how about try reading a short book and just reading it in one go? The book of Philippians is a book with so much joy, it's four chapters long. Uh, The book of Ruth, an incredible story of God's faithfulness, four chapters. Um, Book of Jonah, an incredible story of God's mercy, four chapters. Uh, The book of James, an incredible book with much practical wisdom for living, five chapters long. There are 17 books in the New Testament that have six chapters or less. Um, Any of the books I just mentioned could be read in 10 to 15 minutes. Ten, keep a journal. Um, Some people find a journal helpful, a place to record what you've read, what stands out to you, how God is leading you to apply a passage in your life, a place to journal your thoughts to God, a place to write down the questions that come to mind. Some people find it a real blessing to look back over one's journal to see where God has been at work in their lives. 11. Use a Bible reading method. So many folk in our church will use the SOAP method for reading uh, Scripture. S stands for Scripture, writing out a Scripture. O is what do I observe? What's standing out to me in this Scripture? A is for application. How can I apply what I'm reading? What is God saying to me as I read this scripture? And P is about praying about what you've read. Twelve, and final point, is to apply God's word. The Bible wasn't given to us just for the sake of having information, but rather so that we would experience transformation. Reading the Bible is not a box to tick or a chore to complete. It's alive and it's active and God wants to use his word to change you, to stir up your affection for Jesus and transform you to be like Jesus. James 1, don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. And Finally, the Bible is a gift. So don't turn it into a chore. Uh, We don't read the Bible because it's on our religious to-do list. We read God's Word because in it we see Jesus and in it we find life. It was a long road back for God's people under Nehemiah. But they started returning to God by returning to His Word. Let's pray. James 4, verse 8. Draw near to God. He will draw near to you. Father, I pray this morning in the days and the weeks that are ahead that there might be a great drawing to yourself. I pray that we would seek you and seek your word more deeply than we have before. Father, if we've drifted, if the fire has gone out, if we've lost our first love, I pray that you would rekindle that desire to know you and know your word. May we return to the scriptures. May we return to you.